Recorded live in Manhattan's East Village at St. Mark's Church in the Bowery, this is The Poetry Project. Welcome to The Poetry Project. Hello, good evening. My name is Arielle Goldberg, and I'm the Wednesday night coordinator here, and I'm so thrilled to welcome Janine Olson and Lucas DeLima to Parish Hall this evening. So Lucas is gonna read first, then we're gonna take like the teeniest, tiniest break just to do a quick tech setup. Janine will read, and then we're trying out a brand new format here um, of the question and answer following the reading. So please think of something you would like to ask the readers. Lucas DeLima tries to prepare you to fall into uppercase letters like rows of teeth on the first page of his new book, Wetland. The subject matter is difficult. It is the spinning around and staring intensely into the unfathomable death of Lima's best friend. How Lucas makes this fathomable is by amping up the illogic of an event, not only death by alligator, but the viscous event of grieving. As readers, we watch the rework details as if on ultra HD screens tiling the electronic stores of our soul. The book length elegy is a true act of wrangling inclusive to all of his and this alligator's body parts. Lima writes, our toxic digestive system is one and the same poem. To become part animal also means for the book to become a living animal with many survivalist instincts like acknowledging the beach trash lodged inside the bird. Lucas is always alternating in wetland from the perspective of the alligator with its manly pink flesh to the echo of his friend Anna Maria with her emails about making art and owning shells to the fascination with the god of the Nile, Sobek, who plays the part of a maybe gay icon. To breathe heavy breath at one point, silence in quotation marks equals breath. The glass in this natural history museum is always fogged. Lucas's poetry is hungry for every possible wild emotion meeting its formal match, such as the high-pitched power ballad or the feelings mismatch, which leads to the exposure of strength and vulnerability. For example, the poet is a heron thrown into a boxing ring, or the poet becomes many birds in order to catch all sorts of prey and pick them apart. Both wading in the water and looking from above, the dead dove renders the visceral so intensely. Whether it's of hundreds of unbandaged paper cuts, the sparkle of piss as drool, or the transcript of a review committee for a grant where a draft of the manuscript gets shredded. The thing about the thing about the thing is how Lucas de Lima draws these wet twirls of examination so we feel the subject matter exit and our own ground sinking. Please welcome Lucas de Lima, who's doing a dramatic entrance. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ariel. Um, I'm gonna read first from this chapbook of mine that just came out called Teja Puta. And it's from a sequence called Mother Night Ranch. Dead children reach for the horse, splattering the sky with his bolting. Limbs flutter, skin cemented path, cord of tiny hands so the horse may wind back down. Dead bald children, babies again, born on the flank of the horse. He skitters off a cloud, having bit his master on the face, no Pegasus. Having also died as an orphan, he is my daughter, I am his daughter. I fall to the ground face first, 
encircled in horse bones. Flesh cannot coil around just like that. A wind in the doorway, I confess, to the hot brown cock of the trampled horse, blood of the earth all over my race. I had a daughter, curly-haired pony. She left rainbows in her wake. Leaping off a cliff, my rider fell down and I went with him. My daughter beat her pony head against the cliff wall, moth upon a flame. Billowing into the house, I lost sight of my pony daughter writhing on the floor. Mute trees called to me. Every day a new Marlboro man on my back, smoking up a storm like a lumberjack. We blew up, struck by the thunderbolt in that sky variegated with my daughter's blood, with my daughter's blood. On the rear of the stallion, a man not her father touched her. They rode bareback. Wild dogs watched. My mother undressed. On the neighing stallion, I stroke, carving a black vulture out of that hidebound body, fumbling toward the child my mother was, man whose eyeballs shine brain slop-like an amniotic sack we eat. We claw and eat the man's ass crack. Blackest of hearts, precipice of my youth, scepter inside my anus, fissure in the pink sky, Shit of the rider, root of the horse, the little one's bray. The cock of black beauty at my rosebud. The moon splits the barn, our sword of horse and rider, unsheathed by beams of homunculi, deflowering my ribcage, nose diving off a cliff through my breastplate. Slivery glint of entrails parting. Please bow to the arrow in my colon. On the lip of the gorge, my horse ate me. Dreams and babies went down his throat. Inflamed his belly. Both of us cursed. Scraps of my meat coating his guts. I could still think. I braided myself into an umbilical cord tied to a bomb. I lodged the horse off the lip of the gorge into the mouth of a buffalo stampede, my knot of birth whipping him within, supermanly buffalo crushing him without, the flight of his meat, envy of birds, chunks flung at buzzards knock the bitches out. Then our mixed meat zeroed down to a stalk of grass grown in the horse's skeletal frame. Acid rain scalded us, made us recall our wounds, folds, the rump of the horse. Valley I dipped my cock in to root myself. In dew we slept until the sun stepped on us, crunching our stock in the looping of ground, meat, ground. Horse holes, rays fill in as they shoot up clouds. I grant myself a falling black star because the colt is my aborted baby blocking the streets. Angel I bite in descent with the star. Angel with a hollow base for a throat to hammer the star into when mother night belts my face. But could I be beautiful if I were totally Iberian. I paint in the mirror a man who is also a horse, so shiny he called for a beheading, like the virgin forest called for spells of axed Indians. If my horse rolled in like balls of gold, the day of discovery, red from the chariot blaze. I paint a black pit on the mirror to suck my face off the facade, my suicide a purebred scraping me off its back. Each brushstroke of my blood can grow from a loft hoof hand, the swelling of my anal lips against the finger of the brown man whose lips ripple the pool of my spermatozoid in which colts throb, anciently awaiting a birth from two men, two men of different races fucking, until the anal lips fill out, ready for the giant equine head, encased in blood and shrink wrap, leaving cells behind in my body, on the ragged bed where I give birth to horse after horse, 
Each one thunders down the street, past trash cans aflame. I am left with my brown lover, ah he and ha, his white mare. Too much blood lost for me to move. My brown lover drinks it. To flesh out the names of children, we instantly orphan. Roses screaming. I cut off my dying hand so rain falls for cows whose ribs show. Each time the sun bursts in my plexus. These poems mythify the alligator attack that killed my dearest friend in 2006. To write this book, to inscribe myself into its bloodstained ecology, I have to become a bird. I transform into the airborne body that shares a dinosaur ancestry with alligators and remains their closest kin. I do this as if the evolution of scales into feathers were an adaptation to grief. Death, Edmund Chavez wrote, means alliance. After discovering that the alligator's blood is so potent it can destroy HIV, I begin to understand our alliance. Like the Marys, the ACT-UP affinity group of the sick, the living, and those who had already died of AIDS, my allies and I spill into each other. We fall into uppercase letters like rows of teeth. We offer ourselves as this circulation. Lucas, is there any way you could give me a few pearls of advice on my artist statement? I just wrote it now and I'm going to bed without feeling very good about it. I know it's not done, but please, if you have a minute, make comments. Mutation 1. I watched this film from 1959 about a man who transformed into an alligator man because reptilian genes could grow back his missing body parts. But the alligator man hides his scale from his wife and lurks in the shadows. He rises and wilts as many times as a garden. At the end of the film, he even grows the head of an alligator. His mother faints, his wife cries, and chases after him until the swamp becomes a scream the alligator man can't let out. Mutation 2. That's when the alligator man wrestles a real gator and gets sucked into quicksand where muck throbs around his oblong mouth. The director has to kill off his ugly protagonist, and the trapper has to exterminate the gator that got Ana Maria, because every story has to end with a period. Unlike a poem, unlike a poem I write with Ana Maria, unlike a poem I write with Ana Maria's alligator, unlike a poem I write with her blood and the alligators, unlike a poem we write like a wetland. Lucas, I've thought about my contacts with nature all day since you asked in your last email. Marias, I dreamt of my mother dying and wanted to build a fire. My mother is one of many Marias flickering. In Ciudad Juarez, one Maria dies every week on the way to a factory. As a woman, I call myself Maria and wear the darkest red on my lips. When I kiss pale boys, I try to set their faces aflame so the white boy's cheeks melt. Then I recall my past life as a white boy writhing in a white blanket. Whenever I want to throw the page into the fire, Ana Maria stops me by crashing into my back like a wave of the Virgin Mary's tears in a Latin American church. Ana Maria was the first person to give me a clove cigarette. It set my lips off without burning them up. One time my mother accidentally kissed me on the lips. I started writing poems with a match. Oh boy, I love you. Will you send me a poem? Girl of my gay dreams, making out with a reptile, I feel like red sky. My virginity sparkles in the past. I wonder if holes heal. I think of your breasts and begin to scratch my chest. I leave all these marks. I weep like a man, the sexual current of snakes in the grass. Where rodents risk their lives, I get laid. I get laid and two swallowtail kites spit out a ray. If sex must be loud, then I'll open my mouth. I will make an O that sucks you back to life. God, do you ever feel like there's a feather falling all over your skin, making you witch here, then there, and there, and there, and so on? Oh, what was the bird's eye view if I had no crown when Ana Maria died, if the pillowy figures she used to draw buried scabs inside clouds until ripped feathers overflowed down? If Ana Maria's friends spotted her and jabbed the alligator's pupils, if these things happened, reptilian jaws clamped valve-like. I reach into those jaws to find her heart. Once skin blocks the view, you have to soar through. A tear, my spongy eye tears open. She floods it from inside the alligator. Another subject, 
I have been having too many dreams about being blind. Mutatis mutandis. Flying to Juana Maria's funeral, I looked hard at clouds so they'd get softer. When they got bigger, it didn't help. I pushed myself off the airplane. I was a pallbearer with her family and her other best friend, Nick. My beak, a question mark. Had I stretched my wings before Ana Maria died? My hand, all kinds of colors, once it grew talons, and I picked children off the ground. Wind them up. Ana Maria dying gave me all this air inside, outside, blood-streaked feathers. Everything was funny at the ceremony because I could imagine Ana Maria's remarks. Her coffin and my bones, hollow but heavy. Get naked, get stuffed into a pillow. Whoever lies down will empty you out. Cruel nature. The alligator is a god underwater with two sets of eyelids. I borrow the depth of his sight. In the National Geographic documentary, the actress looks nothing like Ana Maria. The other actress looks nothing like her friend. A simulation of snorkeling with a deity could always be redder. On the internet, I found photos of the man who performed the alligator's necropsy. A biologist in the Marines, he gloated over the 10-foot, 400-pound alligator that killed my best friend. So did the wildlife agency spokesperson. So did the doctor who had examined Ana Maria. It is glorious to stand behind an enormous dead reptile as the camera flashes in your face. You delight your children with photos of a prehistoric god having sliced through his armor-plated skin. The gator looked too pink inside, like a ravaged dawn that had already bled. Oh, the bird inside me says, it hurts to keep killing Ana Maria, and it hurts to keep killing the alligator. But that is what the human does with words when he bloats and flattens them out. In between the gator's jaws, I too shall pose with my head. I am on another page. It's hard to love reptiles in your aquatic cemetery, Ana Maria. I'd glide with the carcasses, but the bubbles feel like bursts. To float like a lotus blossom, I turn a moist eye to ancient Egypt. It was Sobek who protected the eyes of the dead with his crocodile's head. His sweat created the Nile. I prayed his scales in dark water the way Egyptians worshipped crocodile fetuses, unborn and undead inside Sobek's pristine eggs. He who made the herbage green struts with a plume headdress and a horned sun disc. Sometimes Sobek's rays are too sharp on Amaria, a shiny tooth through your skin. Other times Sobek is whom I call on to smother this book with a new gay icon, a sacred egg. I want to incorporate the theme of giving food, but I guess I'm not sure of the result I want to talk about. Giving to nourish another's body or giving as self-sacrifice. And I've been interested in the body itself as food, the concept of weaning or being weaned for the breast. I typed this as I'm high. The highs I've been having lately are of the finest stock, deeply introspective, spective in general, long-lasting, and very big. Lucas, the feeling you described as all I have as myself is nearly real to me. I'm anticipating experiencing it when I move next year because I plan on moving away from every person I know. It doesn't surprise me that you've encountered this feeling because you've made this move to a foreign land. I will always love you. Ana Maria de Lima. United animals plop themselves down. I lay down my cross and gun. We all bring out each other's beauty, the animals and I, as pieces in Ana Maria's art installation. There's a dead gay artist holding hands with the gator. A gown Congolese choir provides musical accompaniment and moral tenor. Baby apes glitter against mother's tongue. Everyone gathers at the mouth of a cavern where Ana Maria is buried, the mouth of our creator. As soon as we try to uncover her, a sparrow flits by. Ana Maria has risen, the sparrow sings. Ana Maria has recovered her spine. Ana Maria lives within the eye of a tornado, striking the nearby slaughterhouse. Our menagerie then turns into a mottled orgy. Between feathers and scales, we celebrate the holy uncaging. I fall in love with every species I fuck. Ghost lines. The gator's brimming red eye deprives us of the ghost. 
my mute wings talk after someone cuts them off. They reverberate out of my body. They fall back toward the red sun. If I fall into the gator's eyes, he will glitter with all possible colors. He will lose his cold-blooded blankness and become a hot body, what Ana Maria was to him. Ana Maria, I just want to check in with you. I'm not going to yell. Are you this book yet? Are you, me, and the gator all hanging off the same spine? With formaldehyde, our book could be preserved as it turns black. Our magnified meat burning in sunlight. Let us mingle in the swamp a few more days, the best shade for a team to percolate and pray in. We team against all odds in the quicksand of all eyes. Ana Maria, your adumbration. I see your splash of water from the sky wetting this book. Many readers are ghosts, obsessed with our bodies. The book is red. Children gaze at animals and see our special flow out of cages. They ask questions about substance. Their soft meat lips, leaps into the air. Warrior species, Ana Maria says. Ringworms thriving inside the belly of the beast, the gator says. Like the gator, children decelerate their hearts to one or two beats per minute. They could drown the book underwater thanks to their four-chambered organ. Children flock all around our book because pregnancy snaps our spine, tender flesh fills us out. We are the book that was passed down bone naked. Condensation trail. Human poets, beat our egg and smack our faces with your cock, we who let you speak again. And the dead devil we encounter in the swamp's fringes hewn once, the cleaved diesel puffs, twisted neck bent back over war feathers, teeming ants in stylish decay, now wrenched to direct roadkill breeze, the dove's imprint on land, a fresh letter. Eat the dove's heart, our shock doctrine of cyclone love and leathery membrane at the gunpoint of a boil we lance on your writhing tongue. Eat the dove's heart. Lucas, I wish we could speak. I want to tell you these things badly, but I worry that I'm just writing a book about myself, which you may prefer to put back on the shelf. Death of the book. Bird, fastest living thing in air, closest to Jesus, fold into the book whenever lightning strikes. Shit gets sticky. Drone, twirl up high, wheel blades, surveil the wigs and lungs of the book. The bird lights a cigarette and inflates a mute throat bubble. Handicapped book, collapse on my back, so a dumb loon sins with you. Each shit strain I translate into clucks, perched on dwarf cypresses until the snap of their lexicon. Cry, trek from face to face in the wetland, pluck carrots into skeleton book in post-mortal garb. Ribbons of flesh commune with stars as I fall, and blotch in our yellowing, fuck with our bones. Ana Maria pushed hard shells into my skin and flipped on an evolutionary feedback loop, so I would burst into anthem at midnight. Though I bathed inside gator holes, gurgling notes weren't enough for our hot pink flag to tatter all the time. A thrush mummy on a lotus flower. I'm swarming with baby gators where the book had been born, so you'll imagine. Talons glued to a fossil in Ana Maria's palms. The gator weeps lumps of coal over her shoulder. Oh, book, oh, book, scream for the nation. Not only am I blind to the triangle you wedged open, nobody hears the echo you fleshed out of my cicatrix. Ana Maria, how will I rebirth the book on my own and become your Ave Maria? Thank you. So I found an interview on the internet uh, between Janine Olson and Nelson Santos, uh, where Janine describes her process as follows. 
We are workshopping underwater singing in people's bathtubs to create scores with input from each specific host. This is basically about displacing the tradition of opera into an interactive situation. It's still completely experimental." End quote. This underwater singing is how I'd like to think of Janine's art searching within both nearby and grandiose historic places. Her work is really serious stuff distilled. Her way with arranging language makes the serious very humorous. In Janine's book and multidisciplinary project, The Shore is Still in the Sea, depicting a trip to an Arctic terrain, to the global seed vault and its surrounding oil extraction, emerges the confession, I don't know what I'm doing here, with marker bleeding through a white page. And then comes a list handwritten of possible ways the world and one's own world could end. Janine's source texts for performances have meditated on the dramatic from many angles. Inside her piece, What, is an operatic transcript of the 911 call of a woman's chimpanzee attacking her friend. The objects Janine makes are manifestations of these texts dramatized. There was the enormous sage stick, which Janine staged cleansings of what she named situations of toxicity that needed transformation. The Greater New York Smudge Cleanse took place in fall of 2008 in response to mounting toxicities in economic inequality, gentrification, racism, heterosexism, and Superfund sites across this great city. At these cleansings, Janine acted similar to a reading curator, activist, gathering texts and readers of local organizations and leaders to speak to a gathered public. So Janine has an intense awareness of the audience, and this folds into the scores, scripts, sculptures, and documentation of performances. Her recent show, Here, Here, included a video documenting the Rocky Horror Opera show she performed with many elaborate handmade costumes and opera buff collaborators. There were two cameras, each visible in the other, pointed at both the stage and the audience. When installed, the video of the two screens faced each other as if looking in the mirror at its own eyes on the back of its own head. Janine is always ready to play hard, so to speak, with subject matter that balloons into absurdity, like a beautiful horn instrument constructed to resemble the inside of an ear, or a karaoke song built of Ronald Reagan's astrologically inflected decisions. Please help me in welcoming Janine Olson. Thanks, Ariel. Thanks for letting the visual artists come. Um, I'm going to read first um, from the libretto for Here, Here. Um, and this is a collection of excerpts from the libretto of a recent experimental opera that I wrote and directed at the New Museum in June. Uh, the opera combined written and appropriated, ang appropriated anxiety and absurdity with catalytic objects, musicality, the collective creation of six actors and three musicians. The piece attempts to examine the internal and external spaces of subjectivity through language, staging, vocality, and humor. <clears throat> the libretto was written to gather language and its dissolution into a situation engaging performers and audience in an active engagement exchange about the larger world reflecting on how the internal sense of self is affected by something external to us. It also pays us asks us to pay attention to the transformation that occurs in one's relationship to any other. The libretto led us through a process that was interpretive, generative, and over a terrain of meaning that was alternately awful, funny, and pleasurable. Once in production as an opera, entire meanings and stimuli are abandoned, but reason and language arrive back in this document. Sculptures exist between function and objects become, in an opera, both symbols and catalysts for performers' actions. The largest object was a mountain on the outside. When turned, it becomes a felt-lined cave. A horn is formed in the shape of the human ear. A spotlight takes the shape of an eyeball. Other objects' props include a curtain dyed with the image of an eclipse, perfect for tonight, a shepherd's crook, and clay scores. Costumes are all similar long gowns with bodices decorated with piping based on vowels. <clears throat> While texts cannot provide an experience of the performance, 
these excerpts are language for contemplation and critique. Uh, and I can't show images of this without naming the amazing performers who were in it. So um, you're, the performers, the six performers are Beth Griffith, you'll see images as we go. Uh, David Gold, Lisa Reynolds, Sister the Dog, Diwa Tamrong, Tony Torn, and Nick Zierhut, and the musicians who you really won't see or hear, um, and, conduct, er, and um, composers are Rainy Ortica and Kelly Pratt. So this is split into sections. Section one is called Refrain. Moving mountain song. Six actors push and pull a black planar mountain on hidden wheels and sing this chorus. Hear our ears and stomp your feet, light our eyes and make us weep. Climb this mountain to avoid the waves, enter into the softest caves. We pull it here, we pull it there. Workers know it's never fair. Hail the eye that helps us see, but you don't but don't forget what you won't be. If your ear should speak a line, don't expect it will all sound fine. We pull it here, we pull it there, the end is always looming near. Um, a mountain is the earth up high, a cave is space of unknown why. Land is something we believe, and what comes next who can perceive. We pull it here, we pull it there, workers know it's never fair. A dog could wag to tell you no, and you will leave them on their own. Is the cat alive or dead? It's all happening in your head. We can hear you out there. We are here. What will we share? We can hear you out there. We are here. What will you share? And the sec part two is not knowing and belief. And this is the curtain hook solo song. Singer enters through curtain, spotlighted, slow drawn out song, eventually falls apart, reforms and falls apart again. The language is dissolute. Unseen actor uses shepherd's crook to remove singer as in vaudeville hook. I don't know, 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 I don't know. Oh, you're here to see a show? I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Oh, you're here to see a show? Well, all the people come to see this hatred for humanity. Animal consciousness talk show. Two actors sit with a small table between them as is in a talk show format. They nod and smile throughout an intro track. A teleconferencing screen appears behind them with a dog sitting at a table in front of a typical cityscape green screen. Dog looks quizzical at camera throughout, though at one point it puts its head down on the table in resignation. Remaining actors mill around and sniff and touch things. Actor one. An international group of prominent scientists has signed the Cambridge Declaration on Consciousness in which they are proclaiming their support for the idea that animals are conscious and aware to the degree that humans are. A list of animals that includes all mammals, birds, and even the octopus. But will this make us stop treating these animals in totally inhumane ways? Teleconferencing in, our guest is Sister, a canine we can live with on a daily basis and yet don't know much about. She's granted us a rare interview in what we hope to be a more in-depth understanding of what drives and motivates her and those like her. We have Professor Dara Dahl from the University of South Florida, who is an expert on human-animal communications. Professor Dahl, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. So, we appreciate your willingness to talk candidly on the show today, sister. I think one of the main topics we'd like to get down to tonight is whether you're like humans. Do you feel? Are you afraid? Are you happy? Oh, I forgot. I have another screen. This is so much better than... The absence of the neocortex does not appear to preclude an organism from experiencing affective states. Stephen Stitch, a renowned professor of philosophy at Rutgers University, says, 
In order for something to have a belief, it must have a concept. In order to have a concept, one must have particular kinds of knowledge, including knowledge of how one's concept relates to other concepts. Non-human animals don't have such knowledge. Therefore, non-human animals don't have beliefs. What do you think of this statement, sister? Actor two. Do you have a concept of knowledge and the ethical impact of knowledge as comprehension? How do you react to the statement, animals are highly emotional people with very limited intelligence? Do you have a concept of time beyond getting a treat? Is it linear in the fourth dimension? When you made a perfect ring of toys on the rug in the green room, was it a symbolic or spiritual gesture? Okay, thank you, sister, for your illuminating thoughts as well as your deep knowledge of what makes sister and her kind so very different from us. Professor Dahl, thank you. We'll be back in a moment. Part three. Plato or no question. This section's called Plato. Three actors emerge from behind a curtain. Another actor lifts the ocular spotlight and focuses in on the three. I'm gonna have to do this. I'll do one, two, three. Uh, you've shown me a strange image and they are strange prisoners. True, how could they see anything but the shadows if they were never allowed to move their heads? Yes, very true, no question. That is certain, far truer. True, not all in a moment. Oh, certainly, certainly. Clearly, he would first see the sun and then reason about him. Certainly. Yes, I think that he would rather suffer anything than entertain these false notions and live in this miserable manner, to be sure. No question. Shadow meaning. Actor turns ocular light to illuminate stage's left wall. One actor makes hand shadow pup animals while remaining actors eagerly guess at and grasp for words. They're attempting to remember a language. Their remembering is slow with spurts of knowledge. Shadow, uh, we'll go, the first shadow is a barking dog. Ah, uh, told. Next one is a bird. Um, ah. Uh, Except, the next one is a camel. Oh, ah, ah. It's so funny to have to do this when I've sat here with the actors and doing this where they're like, ah, ah, promise. Next is a rabbit. Um, cave. Next is a moose. Oh, we. Next is a bear. Told, told. And then the last is a crocodile. Can. In this part, an actor picks up a large card and shows it to one or two performers at a time. They attack the sounds. Part four, reenactment and the dawning of horror. Political speech choir. A podium faces the audience. The actors enact a response choir that moves from enthusiastic belief to discordant questioning. Actors move between each section to reshuffle their staging. Actor one. <clears throat> I think it's clear from our progress today which path is preferable and which path we have chosen. Then everyone says in the key of C, preferable path. Actor one, we know that the problems we face are made by human beings. That means it's within our capacity to solve them. Everyone, in the key of E, problem solve capacity. Actor two, 
Ladies and gentlemen, they say that one-third of the working popula population of Africa will die of AIDS over the next 20 years. Everyone. Working population! Actor 2. I believe that we must not stand back idly and accept this. Idly accept. Actor 1. From our use of drones to the detention of terrorist suspects, the decisions that we are making now will define the type of nation and world that we leave to our children. Everyone. Decisions define. Neither I nor any president can promise the total defeat of terror. Everyone. Promise defeat. But despite our strong, actor one I should say, Despite our strong preference for the detention and prosecution of terrorists, sometimes this approach is foreclosed. Everyone. Detention, prosecution. Actor one. They hide in caves and walled compounds. Everyone. Compa compounds, caves. Actor three. Shuffle. The reason that this ideology is dangerous is that its implementation is incompatible with the modern world, politically, socially, and economically. Everyone, politically, socially, economically, lee, lee. Actor three, why? Because the way the modern world works is through connectivity. Its essential nature is pluralist. Everyone. Pluralist connectivity. Actor three, it favors the open-minded. Everyone favors. Actor three, modern economies work through creativity and connections. Democracy cannot function except as a way of thinking as well as voting. Cannot function. Actor one, yes, we can. Everyone, we scan. There's a refrain. I could sing. <clears throat> Preferable, this is everyone singing this at this point. Preferable path, problem solves capacity, working population, idly accept, decisions defined, promise defeat, detention prosecution, compounds, caves, politically, socially, economically, illegally, pluralist connectivity, favors, cannot function, we scan. Okay, then that goes into a chorus canon, which I'm not going to do. TED Talks. Two actors come downstage right. Another makes a circle to restrict their movement. The actors begin a presentation directed at the audience. The other actors go deep left to begin making mountains out of their bodies. Actor one. Mountain metaphors have a number of advantages over the sports metaphors of baseball and football commonly used in business today. As we have noted, the summit of a peak is one of the clearest and most powerful symbols for attaining a goal or objective. Actor two. The flexibility of mountain metaphors makes it easier to formulate win-win approaches to cooperative business ventures. Actor one. Although climbers can compete with each other or the mountain, they don't have to. Everyone can get to the top and win without one side having to lose. Actor two, as in a must, as is, as is a must in football or baseball. Actor one, instead of regarding each other as implacable enemies, management and unions, for example, can work together on pension plans that benefit both sides. Actor two, a mountaineering exhibition emphasizes team efforts, but also allows scope for individual initiative and leadership. One or two people go out in front to establish the route for others to follow. Actor one, climbing takes place not in an artificial, neatly controlled playing field, but on the natural, unpredictable settings of mountains, mirroring the uncertainties of the real world where unexpected events, such as the recent subprime mortgage meltdown, can sweep financial markets like storms and avalanches, catching almost everyone by surprise. Actor two, 
By exploring the varied ways people around the world relate to mountains, we can improve our leadership skills, opening ourselves up to different ways of approaching tasks and, in the process, becoming more flexible. In particular, this investigation can help us work with people of different cultural backgrounds within our own organizations and do business across cultures. Part five, the veil lifts or discomfort. Anxiety address. Actor stands in center of stage, everyone else stands in a line or stands behind her facing the audience, alternately cupping ears to listen and plugging them to silence her address. Hey, hey you guys, I'm not sure what's gonna happen. When I live my life, I'm sorta okay, but when I start thinking about what's going on, it's like all too much. I'm like, how can we survive this? Why doesn't anyone do anything? What's going to happen like later today, in a month? I'm terrified that when I walk off this stage, which I'm not really being paid for, but that's okay actually, I'm wondering if the global economy will have crashed, if the tuna sushi I've been eating is definitely high in radiation and I'm poisoned, or maybe someone stole my identity and spent $537 on lingerie at Walmart that I'll spend months unraveling how to get my bank insurance to cover. Or maybe New York will get really bombed and I'll just happen to be in the path. I don't know, it all seems possible, but I really wanna keep living. Part six, post-apocalypse bliss. <clears throat> Kool-Aid dirge. All actors walk the sta on the stage slowly, occasionally encountering one another. They move like they're on a drug trip, like they drank the Kool-Aid and believe in the blissed out delivery of language. Libretto spoken as a simultaneous choir. All speak with breath pushed entirely out of lungs. Sighs are long, monotonal, and drawn out. I thought about this as the ASMR of performance. <clears throat> I can't believe it. We're here. It's beautiful. <sighs> I feel so alive. I've been dug out of the earth to live again in the sky. Water has risen and receded. I have gone and won't come back. We have come and won't go back. <sighs> I am not you, but we are really something. We are a multitude. We will crawl out into one. We feel so alive. <sighs> A word means no thing next to my body. In my body is everything. The resonance bears down on me. <sighs> you are we and they are me. What were we supposed to be? It doesn't matter now. I feel so alive. <sighs> I can't believe it. We're here. It's beautiful. <sighs> That's nothing compared to the performance. Part seven, ending. <clears throat> All actors lie down in the cave. One actor up, sits up and delivers these lines. Nothing can be said. There's no saying that will possibly tell about this situation. I am hunting for my heart inside of my body and talking to someone's ear. That's a problem for sure. End of that piece. Um, I could read some of these lists. I think I could take two more minutes. Okay, this is based on um, this, the show that Ariel mentioned called The Shore is Still in the Sea, which was at um, Commonwealth Think Council in LA. And I showed up with a bunch of prints and was kind of discombobulated and then Young Chung, who runs the gallery, said, like, why don't you make a book in one week? And I said, okay. And it was really the best thing I could have done. Um, 
So this book was about Svalbard, which is where the Global Seed Vault is. Um, it's in the Arctic above Norway and, and Russia. And it is highly contested Arctic drilling territory for oil and other um, commodities. Um, so this is the introduction. What is the purpose of this place? To avoid, hide, to be forgotten? I see a small village filled with tourists, a few townies, and scientists. I see very small reindeer, and thankfully no polar bears. I see Arctic research and know there is oil to be found, justified. I know in these hills a vault was built to store seeds in case of an emergency by the very seed companies that threaten much of plant life. I see a series of spheres on the top of a mountain. I read on a sign, it is NASA and others, and later that they're downloading high-speed satellite information for various Western governments. The sun goes around in a circle, but not down. People don't talk here until they're drunk, which isn't rare. We stumble out of bars into the glaring light at 3, 4, 5 a.m., sit by the water, keep drinking. I hear stories from this small world that hide mode as well. We wonder what could be happening and simultaneously know that we are small. We talk about Russia, about the other town on the island with miserable employees of the state coal company, and about why we're all here to get away, but it's inevitably in the center of it all. And then here is possibly my favorite two sides of one page. Uh, I'll read this list. Ways the world could end in one sitting. Does this mean the end of human life? My life? Mm. New plague spread. Planetary shift. Asteroid. Catastrophic damage to ecology. Nuclear bombings and aftermath. The rapture when it finally comes. A slight tilt of the Earth's axis due to some minuscule, something minuscule in the universe. Black hole, sun flare, etc. A new ice age due to the many of the above. A drought also due to many of the above. Massive stupidity on the part of humans from nothing having to do with humans. An unpredicted, uncontrollable, senseless, um, amoral, amoralist end of this paradigm. Nothingness, non-infinity, uninfinity. Some kind of God and time drama. Uh, and then there's one more list that I will read and that will be it. Apocalypse as metaphor. My own inability to convince myself of what's going to happen in my own life. Compounded fear, magical thinking beyond one year, death as an unknown, one's own experience as the entire world, loss of control, I did a little spell check there, fear that one's actions really can affect the course of things on practical and spiritual planes, a heaviness of responsibility. Project has promoted, fostered, and inspired the reading and writing of contemporary poetry since 1966. Consider supporting us by checking out a reading, becoming a member, or donating at poetryproject.org.